now we're actually going to move into someone talking about um, building up a space industry and making space normalized. So um, we have Jason Canigan, who is the founder of Cold Star Technologies, which installs effective manufacturing and information processing systems in other companies. He uh, learned the space industry and developed a large network in a really short amount of time, bringing insights into the marketplace with the Cold Stars Project podcast. Um, he's interviewed hundreds of space professionals and advised many space founders. So Jason, if you want to start, you can go ahead. Great, thanks. Hey, my internet is not great today, so I'm not using my command center, which is in front of me and useless. I, I've got, that's why you get to see my ceiling fan. But uh, thank you, Alden, for not uh, letting me be the only grumpus in the room, because I agree with everything that you said. Uh, I'm glad to see folks here like Mike Maloney. And full disclosure, Rick Fleeter uh, is our engineering advisor at, at Cold Star Tech. So, um, so I wanted to learn the space industry and, and get into it. And I walked around it for like, I don't know, five years or more, thinking that... Uh, because I was a business guy and an operational excellence guy, I didn't have the chops to do anything uh, in the space industry. And I started interviewing people uh, a couple of years ago. And I'm talking <clears throat> space academics, uh, professionals, space lawyers. I know more space lawyers than I know engineers, uh, sector venture capitalists, and of course, founders to find out what's actually going on. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. So. I want to make a division between um, commercial space, which is which is the focus here, and uh, what I'll call government space or defense industry space. Those are two different things. And unfortunately, I don't think founders in the space industry really understand that. They are, as, as Rick said at the beginning, um, as he was, extremely idealistic and uh, full of technical knowledge. But when it comes to business, there are certain realities, like Alden said, uh, that you're just not going to get funded. I mean, I, I, I talk to tons of space startup founders, and I've got the testimonials to prove it. Um, and, and I get invited on space podcasts. I have one of my own, obviously, as a market and vision expert. And I got to tell you, um, they go around and they have an idea or a technical capability, and they pitch to the VC, and the VC goes, that's great, but who's your customer? And I have had many of these private one-on-one -on -one calls uh, and over and over again, I find myself having the same conversation. It doesn't matter who the founder is. We get to a point where I go, who's your customer? And they don't know that they need a customer. And that is a serious problem. <clears throat> and, and it's not about pessimism. I'm, I'm as idealistic as everybody else. I want space to succeed. I want commercial space to succeed, right? Our slogan is make space boring, which is normalizing space and having people I want you to be able to buy something made in space, a service, a product that comes down to you and it's just normal. It's not, wow, this is amazing. It just, it just happens like you're using public transit or terrestrial Wi-Fi today. But we need to find and make that case. And as Alden said, it's not really out there. It's wonderful that we can have technical capabilities and make things, but there has to be a financial reason to do it. Uh, and going and getting water on the moon is not enough of a reason to do it by itself, okay? Um, there's too much belief in this technical capability. And, and you can do that if you want. You go to NASA and you get a, 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 a NIAC grant or a SBIR, or you go to AFWORKS, which is a new thing that the Air Force has started, and uh, try and get 
they're going to want commercial <laughs> knowledge too, okay? But don't just have an idea and go to uh, space sector VCs and expect them to love your idea. It's not enough, okay? Um, somebody said in the chat earlier, and I agree with this, so I'm going to echo it. If you can have a terrestrial use and a space use case, that's the best. It get terrestrial customers first. That's why like something for mining is really great. I talked to people who want to develop the space mining thing. I'm like, can you go get uh, terrestrial customers for this and develop a cash flow, show people that they, they you know, want to buy it. Um, it. Two books that I recommend, this one is Robert Jacobson's uh, The Case for Space, or excuse me, that's Robert Supreme's book. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, space is open for business. Uh, I have a, a review of this on Amazon. It's a great history of how we got to where we are. But the other thing, and the thing that's missing, this is business model generation. Uh, and if you follow Steve Blank from Stanford, I highly recommend you follow Steve Blank. Go check out his, his secret history of Silicon Valley videos on YouTube. It's all free stuff. Learn the history of this industry. Learn how uh, Silicon Valley should be called Microwave Valley. And that development, he had a real hand in, in developing that book uh, with the author, the business model generation book. And learn it. The thing is called a business model canvas. And you want to be able to uh, draw one of those things and explain it to somebody and get actual quotes from customers and put them in your pitch deck slide. Okay. This is something that's missing. <clears throat> and <laughs> what uh, I talked to a, a sector capital VC a couple of days ago, and I said, uh, hey, other than that business model canvas, what would you like to see? And, and he said, uh, a partnership canvas, meaning, do you understand your customer's business model canvas? How are they making money down the chain with what you're providing? And does your customer agree with it? That would prove you actually talk to them. So accelerators are great uh if you can get into into those they'll, they'll make sure that you again go out and talk to customers that that is the number one thing that exasperates me about founders is they want to stay in their ivory tower and design 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 and that's great but get out there and talk to a potential customer get told no get feedback uh, and, and and straighten stuff up and come back stronger you know um and then one final point i want to mention i see over the last year, uh, especially you know, with the with the pandemic and that, we all went to Zoom. I was already on it for years because I worked remotely for years. But uh, we have all these talks about space law, and the problem with that is that it's slow at the high level. Like to go up to some UN body and get uh, uh, regulations made up there, it's going to take forever. I believe what's going to happen is operators are going to get out there. Uh, and mix it up and develop norms. And so it's not going to come from top down. It's going to come from the middle and, and go up. Um, so we've got to go from zero to one <laughs> right now and in the commercial space industry. And the weird thing is it's going to be like the internet. Some, some of us were around for, for the development of the internet. Uh, I remember in 1996, you know, when I was coming out of college, it was a thing, we used it. It was kind of cool to go look around the Library of Congress, but we weren't on it every day. And in fact, most of the time you had to 
turn the modem on on your computer. It wasn't connected all the time, okay? But then suddenly something happened by 2000 where everybody suddenly knew, of course, right? We can go on here, we can make websites, uh, we can start making uh, apps and games and things like that. And all this commercial stuff happened. And that is the, the one, two, two, and three stage where, gee, it's obvious, everybody gets it. You know, I was on a Northrop Grumman thing uh, a while ago, asking for opinions about why we should go to the moon and develop a moon base. And it shocked me because this first time I was forced to sit there and think about it, and I couldn't come up with a really good commercial economic reason about why we should do it. Science is not good enough. Data gathering is not good enough. Uh, if it's not going to be government, we have to go do more. Um, and so I, I've talked to all these experts uh, I don't think there's many people who have as wide, there's certainly people who have much deeper knowledge than I do, but as far as wide knowledge of uh, all the pieces and, and being a generalist of what's going on in space, uh, I know a lot. And you can check that out on the Cold Star Project. It's on YouTube and, uh, and all the audio-only podcasts. So I'll, I'll open it up for questions there. And Rick, since I can't really see anything because I'm on this tiny little screen, if you could moderate that would be awesome. Yeah, too bad, because you do have a cool control center there. I'm used to seeing you on. Um, there's one question from Jeff. There, mm -hmm. There's two questions. One I have in my own mind. You've probably interviewed more space entrepreneurs on the podcast. And I don't know how many you've met that didn't, weren't on the podcast. Have you mm -hmm. seen two that you thought would make it out of those 200, let's say? One percent hit rate. Sure, sure. There, there's, yeah, there are lots of people who I have. I mean, to put a little positivity into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, again, um, like I, like I wrote you privately before this, I didn't want to come across as the negative Nancy, right? Uh, but I, we're on a mission to make space boring, to get to that normalization. Um, I believe, although they did that SPAC thing, um, and I do believe that's the wrong path, and the valuation is ridiculous. Momentous uh, has the best people and the best uh, of what's going on. Somebody asked about asteroid mining earlier, there's your company. There's your company that's developing the capabilities and has real people like Dr. Jules herself. And uh, Fred Kennedy went there, right? Um, and, and he's now their president. They have the people, they have action, like actual engineers. They hire an insane amount of engineers and get there and do work. Uh, they've got a honeybee project, which, which we talked about when he was on my show, uh, Dr. Sussell, about um, they, they made a fake asteroid <laughs> at Florida University um, and, and are putting it up there and kind of putting a bag around it and this honeybee structure and uh, testing, can we actually mine an asteroid in that? So, and I do believe that is necessary. I do believe we need to get resources available in space, but Momentus is, is the number one uh, thing. There are a number of smaller startups in that, um, but a lot of them plug into the primes, what the primes are doing, and they're, they're just subcontractors providing a piece, and that's connected to DOD and DIU. And you will see on my show, uh, kind of an unfortunate consequence of that is that I had to reorient uh, my own outlook and go, okay, I've been looking 100% at commercial space. What is DOD, Defense Innovation Unit, um, Air Force Research Lab, what are these guys doing? And that's why you see more guests of them, like Colonel Felt on my show, uh, where I've had to go and connect with those guys and have them on. Um, I, I, <laughs> I think I could provide a, a, a more complete list later, um, but Momentus is definitely the one that comes to mind where they're developing a capability. Also, you've got a guest coming on next, 
who, uh, who I spoke up to you about privately uh, for Voyager Space Holdings. And Dylan Taylor, once you have met the guy, really impresses you. He's not our speaker today, but he's the, uh, the chairman and founder of uh, Voyager Space Holdings, which has a unique investment model and is not a typical space VC, but they, he's very clever. He is buying up organizations and companies and that, that create a range of capabilities to enable him to, I'm gonna use some jargon here, capture more of the value chain, <laughs> right? Where they, you know, it's not just launched by itself or mining by itself or rovers by themselves or whatever. He's getting like the whole beginning to end chunk and I'm watching him to get the picture because he ain't telling anybody. <laughs> Maybe our guest will say something about it, about what that full range of capability is. I find that very, very interesting. Um, but those are, those are two organizations that I would watch uh, that are serious. I, I have to say, Rick, um, discernment of who is real and who is not is the number one thing I've gotten out of that show and running that show and doing those interviews. Because in the early days, I would let anybody on. I didn't know who was, who was real from who just had an idea, right? And, uh, and now, within moments, I know, okay, are you real or not? And, uh, and I'm really only interested in bringing uh, folks who have at least a good proto business, right? And have a customer and uh, have, have these infrastructure in mind more than just an idea of how we might solve a problem. Um, the question that came from Jeff, the first one, I see he's got more while I was watching you, but um, is it partly a policy problem? Because I, I believe that when I first met uh, Scott Pace, our first speaker, and that's why I met him, because I thought that the problem was that the government wasn't buying commercially made available data, even though the Space Act of 1984, revised by the Bushes in 19, in, by President Bush and his administration in 1992, but the government wasn't really doing it. It was still NOAA going to, you know, deciding what they wanted and then having NASA build their satellites for them. Do you see the government getting out of the way as like, um, or not even getting out of the way, but buying commercially instead of in-house production of remote sensing and all their other services. Is that a problem of why we're not seeing more entrepreneurism outside of, you know, Starlink? No, there's lots of people who are founding startups about um, constellations and data collection, um, orbital observation, all, all kinds of uh, fields. And, and I've talked to many of them on the show, as you know, uh, from, from helping farmers, agriculture, uh, to looking for pirates or people going into like a coast of Brazil, right? Coast of Brazil, <laughs> I'm sure it's got protected zones in that or people going in there and fishing where they shouldn't be and that kind of thing. Um, so if you've got a good thing with a refresh rate. Uh, but what I will say is that I run a, an informal space, space situational awareness group. And most of the people in that group I don't make a big fuss about it, um, you know, online, but most of the people in that group are from uh, Britain. And Britain, of course, uh, had everything and, and behind the military firewall, right? It's, so this, this was a policy about controlling the data, not about the source or, or anything like that, or commercial versus, it was about protecting the integrity of the data and, and who had control, almost, uh, what I call the dinosaur Godzilla tail thump of authority, right? <laughs> this is ours. But we're seeing a relaxing of that where you get these organizations, um, private companies that are opening up, uh, like 
um, what's the one in England there? Uh, Norse, that uh, Ralph Dinsley's company, Dins, uh, that, that are getting into that field and are actually breaking into it in that. So I think we'll see, it probably will take 10 or 20 years, <laughs> but as the data comes up in volume and in quality, uh, I think it's gonna be impossible to ignore for governments. Like why shouldn't we access this? Everyone else is. But that business model, going back to our, our favorite book here, uh, is still getting figured out. It's, it, you know, it's, how do we share that data? How do you buy a license? Do you buy a subscription? Um, I've heard about uh, like sports team conferences and having your access depending on what physical ge geographic location you're in. Um, so yeah, that's still getting figured out, but I think it is relaxing and there is a generation, a new generation of military leaders who are realizing that it is best to let civilians in. May that. I ask, an, this is Jeff Greenspan, may I ask an extension of that policy question? Uh, I may um, not have an answer, but you can. I think you were on uh, uh, Michael Mealing's thing a couple days ago. Um, yeah, nationally, nationally, as Richard said, um, uh, the U.S. Uh, looks to the 1984 Space Act quite a bit. But internationally, a lot of space um, regulations are still governed by the old 1967 U.N. Outer Space Treaty. Mm -hmm. And while, while the initial acts of the initial articles in that treaty promote space travel, encourage space travel, there's a lot of debate about Article 2 as to whether that article prohibits the use of celestial resources. Now, if I don't know if governments are still abiding by this 67 treaty, but restrictions on the use of celestial resources will negatively impact potential commerce in space. Uh, I'm wondering uh, if you have any comments on that. Thank you, over. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> the operators are gonna figure that out, number one, because where's the enforcement? Is, is the United States or Chinese space police gonna come along? Uh, you know, I talked with the folks who are running this CHIPS program, which is uh, gonna be monitoring cislunar space that comes out of the Air Force Research Lab. Uh, and they're putting something there just to have something uh, uh, to, for parity with China. That's all. There's no, <laughs> they can't be very aggressive out there because there isn't much infrastructure or any infrastructure, right? So I think the operators, like I said earlier, will go out and develop norms. I would look at um, a couple episodes on, on the show where I've talked to uh, Christopher Johnson of the Secure World Foundation. He did an excellent, excellent job in the first episode of just explaining the outer space treaties to the layman. Um, and, then, uh, and then we come back because I learn more and then six months or a year later, I come back and I have them on again and I'm able to ask more in-depth uh, questions. Uh, but I've got a whole space law and policy playlist, and those people on there certainly know much more than I do about. Uh, Thank you. Hey, Jason. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, Starlink, which is, you know, SpaceX's Internet thing, their contract, if you want to get Internet, I'll just read you part of it. For services provided on Mars or in transit to Mars by a starship or other colonization spacecraft, the parties recognize Mars as a free planet and that no Earth-based government has authority or sovereignty over Martian activities. This is in a, a, a contract for internet service. So- Makes sense. Yeah. Getting it on the 
I mean, it's a violation of every treaty we've signed that, you know, we can't have dominion. In the same way we can't have dominion over the moon or anywhere else. It's, but maybe if they get there first, they'll just plant a, the SpaceX flag and have that. I mean, there's a, there's a good uh, theory that I've seen that it's going to be like mining towns, old mining towns. And, uh, and there's going to be a whole economy set up around that. Any further questions? Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. If you're a space person, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Do we have some live questions from out there off of other than the chat? Hey, Rick. Yeah. <clears throat> I got kind of a meta question on this then. Um, so, sorry, I'm TAing on my other Zoom right now. Um, <laughs> graduate student life right there. Um, as a designer who works in, uh, in and around kind of the edges of space research, I'm an industrial design researcher by, by my master's and recovering animator previously. Um, uh, do you have any advice on ways to get people who are not traditionally part of the, you know, the space industry to um, to integrate into the space industry? I've helped I've helped shuffle some friends, like um, some of you know John Conifay, for instance. Um, I've helped shuffle some, you know, mentor some friends academically into finding their way in space. And I'm wondering if you have any better advice for people who are, you know, not. Um, skills obvious for something like that? And that's a good question. Uh, and I want to say I'm not a dick on my show. Uh, I, I, I bring a lot of people on who aren't just, well, no, it's, it's, I'm not just talking to like super professionals or whatever. I bring students on and talk to them about their experience. And maybe they're uh, an outreach person for a space organization in France or something like that. Uh, I interviewed a, a young lady named Brene Hadno. Uh, and she works for Black Sky. And, uh, and we had a conversation that would be very useful to anybody, including students. Uh, and I wanna talk to students because uh, I can affect you now. And I'm gonna be a really old man when you're 30, <laughs> 35, 40, you know, and, uh, and I wanna leave the, the industry in good hands, right? So I can help you now. Um, start your networking now. But she said, Renee said, um, when I asked her this question, how did you break into the space industry? Hardly anybody in the space industry has a normal bio, including me, right? Um, it's about networking. It's about people getting to know you and trust you. And then they'll, they'll be like, okay, here, have this chunk of the project. But, but you do have to, um, if you're coming in from the outside like that, do what I did, which is kind of sniff around and look for, ask questions, right? And, and put your, your skill set in front of people. And every, every founder out there, like me, is a total psycho. Uh, and we know we need talent. We know we need talent of other people. We have all these ideas. We're ADD. We want to get stuff done. And we're like, would somebody competent please come along to handle this problem, whatever it is. But a lot of the time, we don't know what we want until we see it. And then we leap on it. And the deal with um, good founders is they're creating a great culture. They have the funding to be able to fund you. They have the ability to say yes. You don't have to go through some HR department. You don't have to go through some skill testing question thing. You just get in, in front of the person who has the power to hire you, 
say, I do this. And they go, oh, I didn't even know I needed that. But, but like, like I was saying, we look for where can I fit you into my plan, which is kind of brutal, <laughs> right? Like you need to make sure that you don't take, uh, get taken advantage of for that as an employee, right? And keep your career on course. But it's also a very nice thing because it means there are all these invisible cubby holes out there waiting to be filled by some skill set. And when the founder is going, well, gee, I don't know if I needed, I, I didn't know I needed an industrial designer, but Josh here just appeared and showed me what he could do. And I went, oh, right. Or it may take two or three months. I've had four jobs created for me in my life where I didn't have any competitors. Uh, I just went out and told specific people what I could do. People who have the power to hire me. And they went and created the job and then said, hey, Will you just take it? We don't want to go through the hassle of interviewing. Just, just take it because they knew me. They'd seen me month after month. It might take three months or something like that. Uh, but for the leapfrogging, I've probably leapfrogged 10 years in my career because of that kind of activity, right? Uh, and going out and, and getting to know people. Um, so shyness is not rewarded. Sitting there and going, I'm amazing, and, and really being amazing and knowing you're amazing is wonderful for a sense of self-confidence, but nobody's going to see you, right? You have to go out and, and kind of mix it up, but space is a very collegiate industry. It's a very friendly industry. You can connect with space people and space founders very easily. Just I see a lot of students going, oh, minimizing themselves, right? I'm just a little midget version of me. No, 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 no. <laughs> Remember what I said about talent and vision of the future, right? Every founder, every CEO out there is going, gosh, I, I'm terrified. Mark Cuban said, uh, work like somebody's trying to take your business away from you all the time, 24 hours a day, because they are. But it's not what you think. It's not about competitors. It's about erosion. It's about people disappearing, systems breaking down, um, people stopping to like, care about their jobs because the culture is bad or something like that, right? And so there is an opening. People want to hear from you, okay? If there's one inspiring thing I can say to space students today, get out there and, and mix it up. Um, Jason, I think we're going to have to go to be on time for the next speaker who's already on someplace. I saw him on the screen a second ago. I'm glad you made it with the phone. I, I'm doing almost the same thing because my internet is also not working and I'm hotspotting from my cell phone. Luckily, you know, Space thinking, we always have a backup plan, so it's it's working. Thanks, Jason.